G'day and welcome to Museo Punks, the podcast for the Progressive Museum. My name is Suze Anderson. And I'm Ed Rodley. And today we're going to have a very different kind of episode. <laughs> we are. Um, normally we would come to you with a plan, a structure, order, all of the things that, you know, make great listening. And I'm not sure that that's what today's path is going to take. <laughs> it's certainly not going to. No, no. <laughs> I can say that with complete certainty from the comfort of my bedroom where I'm sitting on the bed as we do this because the world is just a complete mess right now. Yeah. It's Wednesday, April 29, 2020, and we are recording this episode in the seventh week, I think, of social distancing for each, each of us. Yep. And... You know, it's a it's a different world. We we wanted to wait initially and see how things were starting to pan out. I, I was really hesitant about making an episode at the start of all of this because there is so much change. How could we possibly know? How could we possibly do something about the Progressive Museum without really thinking about the present circumstances of our sector and what's happening? And while that's still true, it also felt time to maybe just start giving a little bit of voice to the feelings, the experiences, the the uncertainty. So this episode is is that. Ed, how are you doing? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm I'm not crying for no reason uh, today, <laughs> so that's good. Yeah. Um, I was able to be pretty productive yesterday, which was Monday, Saturday, Wednesday, Tuesday, I think. I, I don't know. Time has sort of stopped meaning anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. How, how are you doing, Suze? Uh, doing pretty well. Feeling a little rushed and exhausted. It's, it's the end of semester, and that's always a tiring and emotional time. But, yeah. you know, it, it feels doubly so when I think about the the professional world my students who are graduating are soon to inherit and oh, yeah. yeah I find that's wow. a pretty um I I'm I'm not being able to distance myself from that sort of that fear and that worry and that emotion very easily and and understandably and nor should wow. I I think as a as an educator I have a responsibility to my students and that's in all kinds of ways um yeah. but you know on a day-to-day -day level this week is going okay, and I will work with that. Okay is fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just looking through my notebook the other day and in my monthly planner where I would be, in olden times, I would be writing down things that I hoped would happen in the month of March. All it says is survive, keep family alive, hopefully keep job. Yep. That feels good. Okay. Check, check, check. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's let's bring in our guest. We we've got the wonderful Shana Jackson to speak with us. Uh. Um, and really, there's no great meaning why we chose Shana. She's on the other side of the world. She's in a different situation, and we just thought it would be nice to have a chat. And she's awesome. Oh, also that. Shana Jackson is the Artistic Director at Sight Gallery in Sheffield, England. 
Site Gallery is a contemporary art space specialising in new media, moving image and performance. She was appointed in 2018 and prior to this worked at and with institutions like Tate, The Broad, Science Museum and the V&A. She is also a writer of children's novels and non-fiction. Shana, welcome to Museopunks. Hey, thank you so much. I love ah. the show, so I'm very excited to be on here again. <laughs> <laughs> I know, we just were having that, that moment of this is actually a, a repeat for you. Yeah, blessing. <laughs> <laughs> it's really exciting. Now, I'm going to do something that I don't normally do. We usually like to pretend that the show just happens magically and there is no time and date but I actually think that it's really important that we talk about the time and the date when we have this conversation today mm -hmm. um, so it is the 29th of April it's the end of April just about mm. and it is noon here in the US and it's five o'clock in yep. the UK seven past five <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think the reason I wanted to do that is I think it's important we're in an incredibly volatile situation where so much is changing and what we say on one day might not resonate the next and so I thought it was really important that we give a, a date stamp to this mm. so as we kick off can you just tell us where you are and you know who else you're sharing a space with and you know, what the world looks like for you right now absolutely so I'm currently in a rented house in the city of Sheffield where site gallery is based and um houses in Sheffield are quite particular they have like many floors and are quite cheap to rent so it's great and I live with my son and his dad and we all have a separate room which is very nice um so I'm in my room which is at the top of the house and it's a complete state I've just been pretty much living in here for three weeks and uh yes it's <laughs> I'm glad that there is no cameras on this podcast <laughs> uh, I know the feeling. <laughs> so, Suze, um, where are you right now? I am sitting on the floor of my daughter's room. Um, there's very good chance that uh, we might actually hear a toddler in the background during during this today. Um, I always used to record museo punks from this exact spot because the internet was better and the sound was better and then gradually i had moved my way downstairs when i was recording and she wasn't home but it turns out that she is home um this is a pretty small room currently it's where my husband is now working so we've moved his entire office into my daughter's tiny room so uh that has helped exacerbate the end of nap time so this these are some of the changes that we're working with we basically have centralized all work and theoretically a toddler sleeping into one space and uh that's uh, how the rest of the house is sort of a more free reign space but it's a pretty small space yeah yeah, my version of that is in in our apartment at the moment. Let's see, I'm perched on the bed in our bedroom with the door closed, while my wife is in the study on the big computer doing a video conference, and my son, who is a senior in college who got sent home, uh, is cooped up in his room. I think he's taking a test right now, so hopefully the internet will survive all three of us doing streaming stuff at the same time. But uh, what a strange time! What a strange time! It is such a strange time. 
and yeah. those these things that you need to think about like the capacity of streaming and all of that so i've been like i'm tethering to my phone just in case because i know my son is downstairs playing gta with his friends and it will never stand up to it and Suze, you were talking about your daughter in the background it's just like that's just so normal these days and i kind of i kind of like that you know and i kind of love that family is part of work and there's like you know there's uh, less of like a kind of a barrier that you put up. I mean, your whole house is behind you in like these daily Zoom calls that we're doing and everybody is like privy to your home life, which is such an interesting thing to me. And I, yeah, I guess, you know, there's a border about, you know, privacy and of course, private, like, I'm not bored about privacy, you know, there's privacy issues. But for me and my team, we're finding it quite comforting to see that kind of other other side of our colleagues. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think I've seen more kids and uh, and cats in the last seven <laughs> weeks than I've seen in probably the previous thirty years. Right. Uh, and that that sense of we are in each other's homes now is really kind of interesting. Um, so so Sharna, one thing that I've noticed in my own stay at homeness, which I'm now in week seven of, um, is is my days are very hard to separate when I look back over what has happened during quarantine. Can you tell us a little bit about what, what are your days like now in Sheffield and, and how is it different than it was in the before times? Well, you, the hours and the days seem to blend into one, absolutely. And we're trying to, with the gallery, we're trying to like maintain a semblance of a working day. We've always been a gallery that enables our team and our staff to work flexibly remotely. So that's not entirely new to us. But, you know, everybody being out of the space is new. So we are, we we have a, taking from the startup world, we have a daily stand-up. And that's at 11 every morning. And we, we kind of catch up with each other for about half an hour, going round the screen, asking what everybody's up to that day, if there are any immediate um, blockers that we can resolve. And that's quite nice to check in. We were really earnest seven weeks ago when we first started. You know, we, we had like a 3, 3 p.m. water cooler tea kind of Zoom. But increasingly, we're experiencing Zoom fatigue. And yeah. I don't think, yeah, you, I'm sure you understand it. And we can only really, I think we've decided that our limit is three kind of Zooms a day. Um, we're finding huh. them exhausting because we're like, you know, the, the, the lag and you're trying to read body language and hear the voice. And, you know, it's just very different. So um, we're, we're pacing ourselves a bit there. But yeah, the Zooms at 11, we're having all, I think the majority of the meetings that I had scheduled have, have taken place but online or via a phone call, which again, it's just, which is more efficient actually. And that's been good. But, um, you know, people are starting work at six in the morning and finishing at two. I will start around 10.55 and then carry on <laughs> until like midnight doing an hour here, an hour there. But we're, we're making it work. We're using Slack um, to, to chat and we have a like a WhatsApp for social. So for us, new media and technology is kind of inherent to to our work and the artists that we work with so i think for us it's kind of been an easier transition um in, in some ways yeah that's that's interesting so were you using both slack and whatsapp before so we used whatsapp perhaps too much and some people who were part-time were like mm, 
I can't really mute this. So we had a Slack set up when I joined in 2018, but it kind of fell it fell from the way it fell to the wayside from the wayside. It fell away. Um, but we've now like reinvigorated it and everybody's on there now. So that we're finding that really great. And our volunteers mm. are also on an adjacent Slack. So we're able to communicate with them as, as well via those means. Nice. Nice. I know a lot of places have in hindsight decided, oh, we should be using more of these digital communication channels, but that's very hard to stand up once everybody has already left the building. So absolutely. It's so congratulations. Uh, thank you. But it, yeah, it's hard to, you know, people are having to learn a lot of new skills very quickly. Um, yeah. And it's important for me that I don't overwhelm my team with new things. So at this at this moment in time so yeah i'm kind of lucky that we had slack running in the background the the entire time cool so what is the what is the conversation like in the uk cultural heritage sector these days so every, it's it, it's it's really tough the arts council of england have been really really great as have some of the big funders here They've been very quick to um, pull together emergency funding responses. Um, and Arts Council here is the main funder of art, art and artists, not art institutions here in the UK. And they mm -hmm. quickly created a fund um, for for individual artists and um, collectives to to obtain some money. Then there was a fund for smaller organisations who are outside. Um, of what they call their NPO program, which is the National Portfolio Organization. So that's organizations who are funded on a, like a four year rolling basis of which we are one. And now just last <laughs> week, they've unleashed, um, unleashed, so dramatic. They've released um, the um, plans for NPOs as well. So they've really staggered their approach to funding and made it really fair for those who are currently most in need and are really rapidly um, uh, giving out that money. Similarly, the government are having, I'm sure that it's, I'm sure the US has this too, the furloughing scheme where they are paying 80% of, of, of the monthly wage and it's up to the, uh, the business to top it up to the other 20% if you're able to. So that's something that we are investigating um, internally and working out whether you know that's all that's feasible for us to do again because we're a mu um, museum we're not a museum because we're a contemporary art space that focuses on new media we um we know what we we have some understanding of what the type of things we can do are so it's yeah. not it's not a, it's, it's not a quick kind of conversation to just say well you know all the curators are furloughed and all the education staff are furloughed which we, which you know i just couldn't do I'm seeing reports from the US about lots of educators losing their work at the moment, which is terrible. Um, yeah. Absolutely disgusting. So, yeah, so we're, we're working out we're a really small team. There are nine of us and we have like a, people think we're bigger than we are, which is always like a dangerous place to exist. Um, but yeah, so we are, you know, looking at our reserves, looking at furloughing and really thinking of ways that we can save as much money as we can now because i mean we just don't know how long you know nobody knows how long this is going to to last and whether when we reopen there's going to be an appetite for what we do 
Um, and in terms of our mm -hmm. programming, we we had um, we just pretty much just opened an exhibition, and our exhibitions last three months at the gallery. So we're extending that show until the end of the year, hoping that we can go back into the gallery sometime in September. But again, we just don't know. Yeah, nobody nobody knows anything. That's sort yeah. of the interesting thing. There are so is. many balls in the air. Yeah, and I think that nobody knows everything and it's happening to everybody at once kind of gives me some comfort. And that it's not just, oh, it's just not an, a, a Shana thing or an England thing or a Sheffield thing, that we're all in it together and working it out i guess as as a uh as an institution or not as an institution as like a sector that's the word i'm looking for as a sector and yeah. i think it's kind of everybody's really doing their best to pull together i'm trying to be very positive yeah <laughs> what are you uh, shana i think that you know the situation in the uk is obviously different from the one in the us mm. but what have you learned about yourself or your organization in this in this time that maybe you hadn't expected oh that's a really good question that's a really really good question um i know my team i sound like oh god i sound like such a suck butt but my team are so great and they really are great and how quick they've been to offer ideas and suggestions and we started putting some content online and they've just you know Right, I can host a reading group online. I'm going to go and figure it out. I'm going to run workshops for kids online. I'm going to think about safety. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And the ability to deliver, even though it's such a, a stressful time, has been like really impressive. For me, I've found out, what have I found out about myself? That I really need to take some breaks. Like I actually find it quite overwhelming sometimes. And... um I remember, it must be two weeks ago or maybe a day ago, who knows, but I was in the morning <laughs> Zoom and um, yeah. I was in the morning Zoom and I was just, I just started crying and uh, I was just like, you know, I, I'm like, I'm sick of this, you know, there's not enough PPE and I feel sick and it was just really, I don't know, it's, I'm not saying it's 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 healthy and great to be crying around your team all the time, but we feel like a real family and we're just really trying to to pull it together and be you know be there for our audiences and trying to, to give them something to do and be interesting during this time without overwhelming them and just being like a content dump yeah it's really interesting hearing hmm. you say that i've been so for the last couple of years i've been trying really deliberately in the classroom to think about how i bring emotion and vulnerability into the classroom uh you know i think it's really helpful for people to think about um like for me to think about my students as whole people and for them to think about me as a whole person and and that doing that over time i've had students find it quite unnerving um but it's also been an interesting sort of experiment to do um and i think it can sometimes help people be a lot more open and and suddenly seeing a lot of people sort of forced into this this state of vulnerability where they have to say no i can't do that you know my child won't let that happen or you know everything has just got on top of me um I find that it's it's very interesting because it's humanizing people in very different ways. It's it's not the clear delineations of this is my professional self and my home self, which I think is what we were getting at before. Um, 
but that also contributes to that like like to some of that burnout i think that there are ways that you can say well i can yeah. be just on at work or i can be just relaxed at home or relaxed at you know what it, whatever that is whatever is happening in your life there's often been these ways to um delineate these different spaces and i think that that's just gone now there's you know we think back to early ideas of the internet and social media and context context collapse like we're we're living through a massive context collapse but in yeah. a very visceral way oh yeah i completely agree with you and i think this might again might be from working in i used to work at startups after i left tate i had a little stint doing digital things um and that kind of um attitude where that you're all you are always on i think there's still some of that in me which kind of makes it comforting but yes i'm trying to while being vulnerable and i'm you know i didn't apologize for crying because it wasn't you know it's not nothing to apologize for and we're very open and that's fine but yeah making sure that everybody has a break as well and like trying to define what yeah. a break is yeah. And like mm. t remembering to take, you know, oh, I don't need to take any annual leave because I'm at home. It's like, no, you still can, you know, try and shut the computer and go and read a book or go in the garden and just like look at the bees as they go past you and like take, um, look at the beauty in the small moments. That sounds like a really, you know, a hippie and trite thing to say, but really like spending time outside if you can safely and taking, um, Taking the best from the small moments, I suppose, is something I'm trying to push. Yeah, and that's so important. So, Suze, what have you learned about yourself in the last seven weeks or so? Oh, gosh. I'm meant to <laughs> ask questions. I'm not meant to answer them. <laughs> I know. Uh, um, yeah, I don't know. I This has been, the last seven weeks, I have been less connected to the internet than probably any time in the previous 10 to 15 years. Uh, really? Part of that's been deliberate. Part of it has been a way of trying to keep my world be a little bit smaller. And part of it has not been deliberate. It's just been coping with a toddler and trying to parent and get my work done. And that just doesn't leave time for the vagaries of spending time on the internet. Um, and that's been really interesting. And I've also found it incredibly hard for me. I've been very focused on the world inside my house um, to, to the point that I found it very hard to even do things like, you know, there's all the professional Zooms and all of those sorts of things and even personal ones. I found it very challenging to do anything like that because I felt almost a need to just focus in rather than looking out and I think it's the first time in as long as I can remember that I've done that um yeah with, without it well really at all because even when I was doing my my PhD which I think prepared me for quiet and solitude in different ways there was always a looking out and looking and seeing what was happening beyond and yeah. I have been doing a lot less of that Ed, what's your what's your experience in learning? Uh, yeah, see, I knew this was going to happen if I asked you the question. You were going to turn around and <laughs> yeah, inflict it on me. Yeah, well. <laughs> I know. I couldn't resist, though. Um, what have I learned about myself? Gosh, um, I think probably one of the 
Well, I've learned three things, um, I think. One, this need for us to treat each other like human beings and not professionals is long overdue. Um, one of the things I started doing very early on was just compiling lists of people that I knew I would never see for a long time now and just reaching out and saying like, hey, let's talk on the phone, let's have a chat. Um, and, and at least half of those chats would, would inevitably get to the point of like, so how's it going? Like, well, you know, some days I cry, some days I'm functional, some days I stare at my computer and can't seem to get anything done, like over and over and over again. And just the importance of having that human contact and reaching out to people not to talk about, okay, those deliverables of yours, like you're gonna you're gonna get them done on time, right? And we're gonna have that stuff up on the website tomorrow. Um, has become super important, it seems like. And uh, for me, I think it is also kind of a lifeline to have those one-on-one -on -one connections with people where my physical world has collapsed basically to everybody who's in my house, and occasionally people I will see at the supermarket. Um, behind their masks where you can't really see what you can't really see people with masks on the same way you're used to like are you smiling are you frowning like hmm, yeah. I don't know and I don't think people look the same way either I mean no, I no, think I'm, I'm amazed people how much been... people look away yeah, yeah avoiding and... eye contact yeah it's weird yeah. Uh, so there's that um, I have I have found out that I am one of those people who will just suddenly be overcome by waves of despair at seemingly random times yeah. <laughs> like who knows what's going to trigger it you'll just be sitting there at your computer on a zoom call and suddenly just the hopelessness of it all will just wash over me like oh okay i'm gonna put myself on mute and turn my camera off for a while and just like wait for it to pass um that is not somebody i ever thought i was and it turns out i am so that's yeah. interesting it's it's an interesting thing. Um, I think, um, I, I, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are trying to put off those emotions, but I think these emotions are so present for so many people that there really is just having to experience these uncomfortable mm. emotional states and for I long agree. periods of time. And I think I that agree. that's like... I certainly couldn't do that a couple of years ago. It's, a, it's something I've been working on pretty deliberately and... Yeah. I'm glad I yeah. have because I just don't know how I would be in this moment without mm. being able to grieve and being able to cry and yeah. you know that it's it's really hard. It's really yeah. hard but it's really important. I think you're you're completely right. It's you need the space to feel just to feel what's going on and just to be and what was quite frustrating in the early days of the pandemic was this whole rush to, oh, you know, well, Shakespeare wrote King Lear during a pandemic, so <laughs> And it's like, leave me alone. And I was on I was on the radio the other day or something, and they were like, yeah, you like, is this like the best writer's retreat you could ever wish for? And it was like, no. Oh, my are, God. People no. are dying. <laughs> it's not fun. It's yeah. not relaxing. Yeah. It's like, what? what do you mean and then that yeah. soured the entire conversation but yeah it was like <laughs> how, like it's not yeah this is not normal yeah 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 so, so not normal but one thing i i have found myself having to do over and over again 
is give people slack in ways that I, I never did before. I, I, I guess I'm a, a much more judgmental person than I thought I was. Um, but just remembering like everybody is cooped up at home and they're trying with hardware and infrastructure and, and skills that were not designed for this situation and somehow they're still getting something done even if it might not be what you want them to get done. And for God's sake, just cut some slack to everybody. I remind myself constantly. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Shana, what questions has this experience created for you about museums, about the field, about um, the arts more broadly? What, what are you thinking about as, as mm. we move forward? Well, it's, I think it's, it's quite interesting because the three of us, you know, have worked in digital museums for, for a long time and thinking about, oh, it's quite interesting seeing this as like a kind of catalyst to the digital strategies that organisations said they were going to do. Um, and it's been interesting yep. to see those, like, you know, see those happen. And it's like, you know, what yeah it's interesting like what why you know i get why this was the kick but why couldn't some of this have been happening before you know because there are audiences who who did have this kind of existence before the pandemic that you could have been reaching out to so there was you know it's like mm, it's quite interesting from that perspective you know all thinking a lot about the artists that we work with or in residencies with us and what implications does this have for their practice what does it mean for a gallery that's, you know, we're a local gallery in the, in the centre of Sheffield. What does that mean when now we can host workshops internationally and international attendees can come and it's like, what do we gain and what do we lose? Do Or, or is that a ridiculous question? And yeah. yeah, and then trying to think about, OK, well, what does funding, this is with my, this is with my, you know, my work hat on. What does, you know, what does funding landscape look like? How am I going to keep the gallery running in the next four years? You know, are the Arts Council going to be looking at us in this period and evaluating what we did? And is that going to have an implication on whether they accept our applications in in the future? And yeah, how can I be more accessible in the content that we are delivering now? And how do I protect um, my uh, presenters in zoom if people are you know hacking in and being racist and like you know all of these questions like constant 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 but the, the the main ones for me are funding for the gallery but also like what is a digital strategy um what is the role of the digital person in a in a in a museum now like what are they listened to now is there like more respect uh is there understanding like what's what's happening there is really interesting to me yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out mm. once once people start going back into their buildings. Will it will it all try to just pretend it didn't happen and go back to the way it was before, or will it be some completely changed reality as a result of that? I, I have no idea. I yeah. don't think there can be a pretense that it hasn't happened because at least in the US, it's going to be happening for so much mm. time now. I mean. You know, I think the funding question is significant. There's also, you know, will people come to museums? Will Is the model of the blockbuster dead, you know? Mm. And if the model of the blockbuster is dead, if we have to do social distancing, then we can't use 
um, visitation as a measurement of mm-hmm. success and impact, well, then how do you then start to measure success and impact? It, it, I think this will have some kind of impact on every part of the museum. You know, I'm I, the thing I'm thinking about at the moment as someone who works with grad students is I've got students who my students had their last class yesterday and how do they go into this sector right now where there's hiring freezes but such uncertainty and of course so many now people who are losing their jobs who are furloughed um you know there's the human factor and the volatility of that i'm I'm sure we're going to lose people from the sector who just say well i can't I can't keep doing this or there is no job here. Um, and uh, there are going to be, you know, temporary things that probably do look close to normal in a relatively quicker sense. But I think this has to change some aspect of, of so much of the work that we do. I would agree. Do you remember, Suze, months ago we had a conversation with Jay Rounds where he was talking about paradigmatic shifts yeah. and, and how you can't see them coming? Well, I think, I think we can see this one. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I don't see it. Kind of, I just can't, it can't go back. It's, it'd be impossible. But yeah, how is it, how is it maintained? And like, who, who, not who has the power, but there was always, for me, that kind of that tension between curators and not necessarily curators, but you know, other teams in the museum and the digital teams and, you know, those internal hierarchies. And now like, I wonder if this will, you know, bring those teams together a bit more. And I've been out of museums for a little while, but I'm hoping it's changed. I hope so too, Sharna, for your sake. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I think the thing is, I don't know. And that's, you know, Nobody this episode, does. no, this episode took us a little bit longer than to, to make than we normally do. We normally try and get something out every month. And Ed and I were talking and I just said, I don't, I don't know how we do something focused on progressive practice right now when we've just got to have time to be in this moment, you know, th- there will be changes. And part of it is how we, participate in making those changes and how you know there's all of these things to come but there also just needs to be space for emotions and space for grieving and space for not knowing because you know when it's such a volatile and uncertain situation when you know when people are being affected so personally in so many ways we can't just talk about um there are practical conversations to be had, but there's also there's also other conversations that we need space for, and I don't I don't know how else we have them without giving that space. I'm not being as eloquent as I would like to pretend I normally am when I have things written down in front of me and ideas of where we're going with an interview. This this is you know. This is me just thinking through this out loud. Mm. But but luckily we're cutting you a lot of slack because these are strange times. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I, one of the things that, that I, I am always amazed by in this particular pandemic is how quiet and peaceful and completely grim it is all at the same time. Like, you know, the sun is shining. 
the streets. I live right in the middle of the city and it's dead quiet um, in a way that it has never been in my entire life. I was watching a wild turkey strolling up Cambridge Street the other mm-hmm. day because nobody's out. Um, you know, we take long walks every day. Everybody seems to be cooking enormously complicated meals because you're home all day. You've got plenty of time. You're not doing anything else. Uh, and at the same time, you know, the Boston Globe obituaries section was 19 pages long on Sunday. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's so crazy. And there was a tweet from Danny the other day, Danny Birchall, which was like, I'm, I'm currently the most busy and connected I've ever been, but the most lonely. And I yeah. was like, okay, yeah. I, yeah, I feel that. Yeah, get that. So, Sharna, here's a question for you. I think I know where the answer might lead, but um, what things are bringing you joy at the moment? How are you finding little moments of happiness? Well, I'm doing the I'm doing I'm doing cooking like like everybody else. I'm like, oh, look at me, I can cook. I'm like, <laughs> I so <laughs> instead of eating ready meals and Ubered McDonald's, I'm actually like feeding my kid properly. And um, I so my whole th- oh so embarrassing, but my I've got this boat that I love. Yes. So I've been <laughs> so I've been thinking a lot about the boat and how I can get back there one day and like being on Pinterest and like imagining like the roof I'm going to put on and like ordering paint samples and doing nothing with them and like weird things like that. But then spending a lot of time on now TV, which is like an English uh, Netflix and watching things that I haven't had the chance to. And I, I did a jigsaw with my kid last night, which was really nice. And it was yeah. like things like that. There are there are things that I do appreciate and will hold on to in this horrible time. And it's those little moments that are that are that are nice. Yeah, somehow we've it's... turned into a competitive crossword puzzle family because my, oh. my my kids are college age and older. So trying to decipher the puns in the New York <laughs> Times crosswords can be a real blood sport. To see Love who can, it. Who can do it first, but we could pass hours that way, just <laughs> laughing and smack talking each other. It's really interesting. That's really nice. What about you, Suze? Yeah, I mean, I was saying before that I'm the most offline I think I've ever been, or certainly as an adult. Um, I'm effectively parenting my my toddler through the day while my husband has his job his job is much more time precious than mine is um and so I work in the night and I I parent through the day and because we live in a small house and until now we have never invested in many toys we have a few more now not that many more um (laughs) I'm becoming a much more creative parent you mentioned Pinterest I feel like I've been doing my first like not actually Pinterest worthy. They're all pretty ugly, but I'm much more creative as a parent than I was. And that's been really lovely. You know, we've been making trucks out of cardboard boxes and we've been making a, um, a fake beach out of like beach, like bath towels and um, toys and beach balls. And yeah, it's actually, you know, I was never particularly, um, I'm not a physically creative person in most sense. There are people who are crafty and I am not a particularly crafty person, but 
Um, one of the things that's nice with a toddler is the quality doesn't have to be great. It just has to spur imagination. And so it's helping me be a more imaginative parent. And I think that that's a really nice, that's how I'm finding joy in this moment. And that is an excellent way to find joy. Mm. Yeah. Shana. Yeah. We're going to let you go in one, one second, but is there anything else that just as you're thinking about the sector, as, as you think about the ways that you'd like it to change moving forward, do you have a sense of uh, one thing that you'd like to come out of this awful and disruptive time and continue, whether it's professionally or personally or both? Yeah, yeah, speculate. Okay, so I'm hoping for increased empathy i think we've seen you know we're seeing each other at our best and our worst and i'm hoping this empathy the empathy that we're showing to each other um particular colleagues can be maintained um and in terms of um the way office life works i'm hoping that there is more flexibility for, for people who, you know, some people don't want to come back to work in the traditional sense and I, I don't blame them. And I hope there's like support for, diff- for different ways of working and for space uh, to, to think. I think that space to think is just like, you know, dropped off so many people's radars and, you know, yeah. this d- deliverable, 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 target, target, KPI, blah, blah, blah. like thinking and, and feeling is, is, is protected. I'm, and I'm hope I'm hoping for that, and I think you know there's going to be it's not you know this is the new normal, and I just hope that we can navigate it empathetically together. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, that's really beautiful, Shana. Thank you so much for joining us for this conversation at this. Uh, at this strange time for, yes. for a repeat visit on Museo Punks <laughs> several Thank you years so much. after the first one. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was so fun. It was really great to talk to you both again. It was yeah. good to hear your voice. Mm, it's so lovely too. to speak with you. Well, Shana, thank you so much for for joining us on Museo Punks. Um, Ed. (laughs) Suze. What do we say at this point? I guess what we say is, you know. I think we could say the usual things. Yeah. Uh, We need to find the usual things. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's something along the lines of uh, Museo Punks is brought to you by the American Alliance of Museums. Uh, you can find um, you can find us on a number of different podcasting platforms, <laughs> including uh, we're on uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher, yep. and Spotify. Yep. Really, anywhere that begins with S, and I'm sure some of the others, but they're they're the big ones. <laughs> and stay tuned for next month's episode that will be coming out as soon as we can figure out what it's going to be, <laughs> and find ways to find time to to make it around working and parenting and just trying to be people in this in this crazy world and in this crazy time yeah so till next time everybody stay safe be strong yeah. be in it for the long haul
Yeah. Or just, you know, survive. Yeah. As we uh, head out of this show, we're going to take a listen to a, a wonderful piece that was sent in to us. I think it sums up the moment nicely as well. Coronavirus has made me feel human. I um, have had quite a couple weeks. Many people in my family were affected. And at the same time, I was dealing with all kinds of stuff at work and um, everything was changing and everything was hard and everything felt in flux. And the one thing I kept thinking is, I kept looking at the moon and um, seeing the full moon and super moon and thinking, we're all here on this planet together. We're all dealing with this together. And in terms of museums, it might be the first time ever I felt like museums were part of community in such powerful ways when I, um, you know, I was one of the people leading our, um, our closure and when we decided and I, you know, I had a full team who agreed, felt like I was doing something really important for humanity. And every step that we take as a field, including losing so many jobs and the incredible uncertainty of the future, it's another step that we take to be with all the other industries. And after about 20 years of a career where I always felt sort of out of step sometimes with the rest of the industries, it's very interesting to see how human every person who works in museums is, um, how we're all sitting at home working. We're in the same boat as our visitors for the first time, perhaps ever, um, all the time, every day. And um, for me, there is something so wonderful about finally being with the people, for the people, all the people, all the time, um, in a way that I had always espoused in my career, but not something that happened universally. And now everybody, directors are sitting home, <laughs> just like visitors, trying to figure out what the future will hold. And frankly, not a human on this planet knows. We're all in the same boat. And with all the horrible and terrible I'm really hopeful that we also have the human and the good and the wonderful in our future.